this episode of the Cinematologist podcast, we talked to Philip Barantini, the director of the superb Boiling Point, a tense, absorbing, and highly authentic snapshot of restaurant culture, specifically grounded in a UK context. Neil and Dario also reflect on recent watches, including Neil's COVID-induced return to Predator and, and Predator 2, along with reflections once again on Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, and Dario waxes lyrical about the Masters of Cinema Blu-ray release of Corbucci's Il Gran Silencio. If you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. It really does help bring the show to a greater audience. And if you enjoy this episode, please take the time to share it on your social media networks. But now, on with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and joining me as ever, I'm delighted to say, is Dario Linares. Morning, Dario. Yeah, great to see you, Neil. Great to talk to you. Looking forward to this chat. Really, really great interview we've got coming up, and it's Easter for us in the old academic world, so hopefully getting back into watching a, a few more films and, uh, you know, doing some bits and pieces and what have you. Absolutely, yeah. Spring break, spring break, uh, which is what we're <laughs> on. Um, it's hard because when we don't call it Easter, because obviously, you know, not everyone celebrates Easter, um, spring break just sounds so American, so what do you call it, you know, like the midterms everything's so american so how do you i don't know yeah i'm going to some resort gonna have a load of pina coladas yeah. and dance around in my shorts neil i'll send you the pictures brilliant dario does cancun i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> yeah all this swinger in town <laughs> <laughs> oh lovely um we'll probably be a little less um outrageous than that but it'd be nice to yeah have a bit of downtime yeah and part of my easter spring break um jaunt is uh to luton so i'm currently in my parents bedroom um in luton which is why it might sound a little old-fashioned not just because of the decor um uh, sorry mom and dad if you're listening but and also that's why you might hear more traffic than the normal um in my little close in Cornwall. <laughs> and the, the lack of a mic might has an oldie-worldy BBC feel to it. But that's in keeping with the 100 years of uh, BBC radio, so that's fine. My little tribute to uh, the old-timey radio. I've been watching a few bits because I had COVID last week, so um, I caught up with some stuff when my brain oh, was dear. a bit of a... It wasn't too bad. I had a nice, mild dose, um, so I feel very grateful for that. But it did just mean that my head was really foggy and I couldn't do much, so I took the opportunity to watch a few bits just to... Yeah, which was nice. Yeah, what, what did you see? Um, I watched Predator and Predator 2. Um, uh, nice. I've seen, I've seen Predator a lot. I love Predator. And I've seen Predator 2 once, maybe. And then someone said, I think I've read somewhere, right. was like, you know, give it another go. And it's not as bad as you remember. And it's actually it's actually decent. You know, it's pretty racist. Right. Um, the, 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 race, the, the race depictions are... It's decent. Pretty racist, but decent. <laughs> if you can get past that. It's a very 1990 depiction of black gangs in particular but uh no it's actually a really good actually and danny glover's great he's really good in it um so i enjoyed those the the, the thing i did want to mention was i saw and i I tweeted about this i saw the tender bar which was clooney's latest he made those two movies last week it's good it's really good you know i mean i enjoyed the midnight sky as well it's good it's great and affleck's great affleck is great in it um ty sheridan's great um and uh yeah I just thought, you know, like 
yeah, solid, unflashy, really nicely written, well performed, great sort of a really great soundtrack. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. And I don't think it was the COVID talking. I think I think it was a really good movie that just has been overlooked. No, no, I agree totally. I really liked it. And I think that that sort of, you know, it's it it's Clooney doing sort of slightly sentimental, you know, growing up story with it with Ben Affleck as a sort of affable mm. uncle. You could kind of look at that and think, do you know what? That's just gonna be horrific in in some sort of um self self sort of aggrandizing way. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna be like full of full of self-importance, but it really isn't. It's really good fun, I think, as well as much as anything yeah. else. Yeah, well cast, like the Affleck's gang of mates are really fun. Um yeah. and it's kind of yeah, I just had a nice note. I think he a lot of his films, he's he's misjudged the tone. I think you know he's ne- never really known. But with this and the Midnight Sky, I thought they were both, I thought were both solid, and he kind of got what they should be, um, and were just really enjoyable and weren't groundbreaking or earth shattering, but were, were kind of solid movies. And again, the sort of movies that people say, "Oh, you don't get those movies," and I'm like, "Well, they are there, you know, and they're streaming made, but 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 that you know they they're not." Yeah, I enjoyed, so that was a good one. And then I saw Ty Sheridan in The Card Counter, which I know you're a huge fan of. Oh, of course. I absolutely, I loved it. It's it's absolutely great. I loved it. Oh, did you? It Was that the first time you'd seen it, like last week? Yeah, last week was the first time I'd seen it. So. Oh, wow. Christ. Yeah. We haven't even talked about yeah. that. So, so you did you did like it, yeah. Yeah, it was fab. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think Beth had seen a trailer for it and wanted to watch it. And then she started and she was just a bit tired. So she went off and I, I finished it and it was, yeah. Yeah, it's just I think he's just a great he's 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 having a great late period, isn't he? And Oscar Isaac's brilliant in it. But yeah, and Ty Sheridan again, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was great. And I think I tweeted to you about it because you put that post on Alienation, didn't you? About after the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, he, he no one really does it in that kind of way. Then he's got a very unique take on it. But it reminded me a lot of Refn. It reminded me they'd worked together and felt very in that movie in a way that first reformed obviously doesn't you know it, there's something about those spaces and those kind of lives which i think really yeah i thought it was thought it was and the score was brilliant as well i love the i really love that singer who sang or still sings with black river motorcycle club you know there's something about his voice which is a very kind of uh haunted americana voice you know and i've always loved his voice so it was i thought i thought the score worked really well as well what about you yeah, glad you love that. Yeah, yeah, funny actually. I I had a similar thing. I've gotten a, a a sort of comparative watch to Predator, I suppose. Well, kind of. So I was listening to the the series by the Silver Screen Video Boys on Tony Scott, and so uh, B had never seen a lot of Tony Scott, especially late period. So we watched. Um, first of all, we watched Unstoppable, which is Denzel and Chris Pine, basically trying to stop a runaway train that's that's all you need to know and like the the, the guys on the podcast had a comment that, that that one of them said to the other the other this film has no right to be as good as it as it is and that's ex- that's the perfect review it it's so it's kind of like so really cliched you know you can see the beats are there the beats are there and they're in the in the right place and the i, I don't want to say stereotypes but the roles that you would expect to find these characters in are there the story is kind of formulaic and you're like, why am I enjoying this so much? It's because it's just so well done. All the things you'd expect and it's just so well, bloody well done. So if you want 90 minutes of Denzel and Chris Pine bickering before they get together and then stop this train, 
And who doesn't? And, and you know, it isn't unstoppable. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want that? And then we went back to uh, Crimson Tide, um, which is Denzel again and Gene Hackman, which is just, uh, it's kind of like, Watching it this time, it is like a philosophy seminar set in a submarine on the brink of nuclear war. It's like, what are the moral, the morals and ethics of the procedures that these um, submarine guys have to go through in order to launch? And it's, it is the butting heads of Denzel and Gene Hackman. It's, and it is like two heavyweights sort of going up against each other. And so the script is set up that way. It's how can we set up these two actors to really get in each other's face? And it's that's kind of obvious in that in that sense. But yeah, just both. I mean, the Crimson Tide is the better film by by some distance, but still both really worth worth watching. And then on your recommendation, I'd watched The Grand Silencio, which is just fucking brilliant. It's just <laughs> amazing. You know, I I got that beautiful Masters of Cinema edition, and it just yeah. looks amazing. Looks beautiful. Uh, Trink Trink is that how you pronounce it? Is just I think so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is is so good. And literally, you know, he is the silence. He says nothing throughout the the entire movie, which is quite. I mean, that must be quite a hard thing to do. And he's not particularly striking looking either. You know what I mean? He's not sort of, he doesn't look like Lee Van Cleef or something like that, where you can just sort of move your eyes and it's like a, you know, it's it's like a story in and of itself, but he's really good. Um, and Klaus Kinski's kind of doing um, something slightly different in acting. He's almost kind of like this dandy, foppish kind of char- character as an assassin, which is really strange because, you know, if you watch A Gear Wrath of God and some of his other stuff, he's just like off the reservation, unhinged. Um, so it's it's kind of like a, an interesting sort of setup about who these characters actually are, and you can definitely. I read a little bit about it, and you could definitely see this is he's trying to make comment, make sort of social comments with this movie as well about you know the gangsters, bounty hunters are causing mayhem, but it's legal, and there's nothing that they can do about it, which is a really sort of strange revisionist approach to to the genre, I think. But yeah, that I mean, I, but it's just a great watch anyway. You can put put the social stuff to one side. It's just. Just great, yeah. No, I love I love that movie, and it, yeah, I rewatched it recently as well because I reviewed it, didn't I? I've got the I got the the sort of the preview disc, and then I bought that beautiful set because I was just like, I need I need this set with all, and it was yeah, it's absolutely fab, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, Tarantino talked a lot about it with the Hateful Eight, and all he did was take a snowy locate. Like, there's no, there's I I see very little. That, that, that feels connective other than landscape in those movies. You know, like you say, like the, the stuff that you feel about these power dynamics and these relationships and the kind of the, the, the politics of the place, they're just completely absent from the hateful eight, I think. Mm. Um, he does but, use the, he does use the trope of the, the wagon train basically, doesn't he? When it arrives at the, arrives at the sort of uh, bar and saloon, there's a little bit of kind of crossover there when it comes to that aesthetic, but yeah, yeah. That and the snowy, the snowy sort of mountains. You know, yeah. you can definitely see he's ripped that off. You know, or yeah. it's homage. You know, and I think you can see in a different film, but DiCaprio's performance in Django Unchanged feels like he's been told to watch Kinski in in this. You know, there's a certain yeah, sort of sort of southern gentleman, yeah, um, yeah like you say, dandy uh, sort of tone to it, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. No. Glad you glad you like that one as well. Nice. Yeah, indeed. And just quickly to say that the um, if you want to hear more on the card counter, then you could join uh, Mary Wilde's Patreon because I sp- spoke to her for about an hour 
about the car counter. We she came over and we we watched it together. She'd never seen it, and yeah, we and she she obviously gives some kind of psychoanalytic insight into the movie, which is like really interesting to sort of react to in in that. So if you're in in a in a card counter mood, then watch the movie and then go listen to that. And you should be. Um, before we get into today's episode, we did want to mention a couple of new Patreons as well who've joined us, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Very kindly, uh, Alison Pierce and Hannah Pavick have both joined us on the Patreon, uh, both former guests, as, <laughs> of course. So it's nice that they uh, have come back and, and supported us. But, you know, Alison herself is the, you know, queen of horror analysis really she's got her own uh, stuff that you can go and support and then uh, yeah Hannah Pavic was the scholar who talked about western um the the Valeska Griesbach uh, film uh, back on a previous ep- episode and wrote uh, an, you know a, a very highly astute academic piece on western and masculinity and and sound and stuff so thanks to both of them yes thank you yeah brilliant piece and both of those are, are in the, the recent past as well so you can dig into those episodes if you haven't already um but let's get on to this episode which is one that you uh, put together dario uh, do you want to tell us uh, who we're going to be hearing from today yeah i mean I, you know i don't i'm not too bothered about spoilers but just to say that that boiling point was a film that i've watched you know earlier on this year and it's or it's it's definitely going to be on my end of year list to talk about i just i had such a, a visceral reaction to it as you will hear when when i when i uh when you listen to the the interview but i spoke to the director of the movie philip barantini yeah it's spoiling point was originally a, a short an awards nominated short that that philip and his co-writer and producers developed into a, a feature which reflects his experience as a as a head chef and in the interview we talk about that we talk about the one take structure, which again is an interesting. It's a it's a device I think that's you know been used elsewhere, and quite successfully. But it can be something that I think is overbearing. You know, we talk a little bit. Well, we just mentioned Birdman, but I know people have sort of talked about that. You know, it's just it's something that shows the intervention of the director. Oh, it can do to a to a overbearing extent, but it definitely for me doesn't in boiling point. I think it's absolutely apt for what that film is. And we also talk about Stephen Graham, his performance, along with the rest of the cast. And for me, how authentic I found the film in the details of the restaurant culture for, you know, for those who don't know, I, you know, I was in restaurants since I was 14, all the way through to getting a full-time job in academia, so 20, 25 years. Um, so it has a very individualized resonance for me and i think it it definitely will do for people who've got a lot of experience in restaurants yeah it's a brilliant conversation um yeah i'm excited to talk to you about it and the film afterwards so let's go to this now this is dario talking to boiling point director philip barantini just tell him i'm so sorry um i've just got so much going on Thanks for coming. Let's make some chips, yeah? Chop some spuds. Yes, chefs. Enjoy your drinks. Thank you. Service on table 20. I'm allergic to nuts. Okay, I'll pass that onto the kitchen. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) How's this? Well done. Keep that up. Keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. I'm on the dirt. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Okay, look, we've been reviewed on table four. I need you to switch on, yeah? I had no idea you were coming. It's a bit strong, isn't it, bringing it along? 
This is your restaurant. This is my money. I haven't got it. I can't give you what I haven't got. What am I going to do? Just slice three steaks. It's not hard. Why do you always give in to her, my man? What do you mean give in to her? What's your problem? Can somebody help me? Please, bring your nose. I'll feel her. You've gone down to a three. What do you mean? One from a five to a three star. You've got to concentrate. Oh. Is this is your fault. You don't turn no, no, up on no, time. No, no, you don't do the orders. You come and sneak in the food. So, Philip, welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I have to say, as someone who, before I was an academic, I worked in restaurants for 20 years, the film Boiling Point really resonated with me very deeply. I, I, I have a recurring dream, basically, and it was like seeing that dream play out on the screen. Oh, gosh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's like that's in a really good way. You know, it's like in a UK context, it's like the most authentic depiction I've seen of restaurant culture that I've ever oh, seen wow. on film, really. Um Thanks, yeah. So I'm just wondering, first of all, are you somebody who has a background in restaurants yourself? Yes, I do, yep. I um, I was an actor for 25 years, um, but I wasn't as successful as I'd like to have been. So I, I literally needed to make some money. So instead of working as a sort of, you know, waiter or going and doing some um, call center work or whatever it may be, I was always passionate about food because my it was in the family. My grandfather was a chef and and my cousin is a chef and I was always passionate. So I just sort of worked my way from the bottom. I started working in kitchens and, and over a period right. of about 12 years, I, I became a head chef after 10 years. And then just like, cause it took over my life, completely took over my life. And I really engrossed myself into that world, you know, and, and yeah, my acting took, sort of took a back, a back uh, seat really. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, so, so I've, I've, I've been in it. I've lived every moment of that that the movie is is what something everything that that's in there is something that I've either witnessed or or experienced firsthand. You know, every character role I, I have a parallel in my mind of somebody that was like that back in the day when I because I was front of house. You see, I was right. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that was interesting to me was that divide between the kitchen and the front of house, which is I don't know how many kind of customers, quote unquote know that there is a fundamental tension a lot of the time in the restaurant structure. And I've always thought that that tension could be interesting cinematically, but I've never really seen it in in the same way as I saw it on Boiling Point. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you know, you know, firsthand, there's always that battle that every, every restaurant that I've ever worked in, there's always, it's always the front of house versus the back of house. (laughs) And it's especially around like the, the subject of tips and, and, gratuity and stuff like that it's it's yeah so oh yeah i wanted to get a little bit of that across but also at the same time as well you know everyone's there it's like a family isn't it and you know and sometimes you spend more yeah. time with your work family than you do with your with your actual families at home and that that was the, the major issue for me really is because i'd finish work at like you know say 11 midnight or something like that and i'd end up staying drinking at the bar till four in the morning because that's your downtime yeah. but then you realize you know i've got a wife at home and and it's like I'm sort of neglecting my time at home with, with, with her, you know, but yeah, it's to get that across a little bit that it is a, it is a dysfunctional family. At the end of the day, everyone can sort of finish work and have a drink together and, and nothing sort of taken too personally, but, but you know, at the time it's uh yeah, 
you sort of hate each other in, in certain moments. <laughs> I mean, for me as well, that that sense of the family is really interesting because it, it, it is it does draw you in. I think in a way that other workplaces don't being a sort of academic now, it's very much, you know, you, you go to work, you do your thing, you, you come home, but you never really get outside the life of a restaurant, you know, and you can see the, hear the waiters talking with each other about, Oh, we're going to go out later on. And, and, and you have, you, you work and live on a different time kind of time uh, schedule to everyone else. You know, it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it's going back to that. What I just mentioned earlier is like, the sort of finishing work at midnight and then you know you, you if you work in a kitchen or front of house you've been working and grafting for the last you know however many hours and then as soon as you finish you're like that is that mentality of like right it's my turn now i deserve i deserve to have a bit of fun or you know a bit of downtime myself so yeah there's there's been many 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 occasions where you know you're sort of planning what we're doing after work what we're doing oh we're all going here we're all going there you know what i mean so it's yeah and then before yeah. before you know it it's you know you've had two hours sleep and you've got to get back up for work to do the breakfast shift so yeah sure i've got some great memories but also some really really dark memories as well <laughs> yeah no i i totally understand what what you're saying and and that that sense of the the sort of tone of the, the film. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the sort of cinematography and everything in a second, but yeah. but just that that general idea of of stress building, and I haven't had that kind of experience. I mean, probably the last time I, I sort of felt so tense watching a film was Uncut Gems. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, just that sort of feeling of escalating pressure that the the audience feels. I mean, my, my girlfriend has sort of tried to watch it two or three times. She said, it's great, but I can only get like 20 minutes further on, you know? <laughs> what, Boiling Point or Uncut Gems? Yeah, no, you're too, yeah, oh, no, oh, Boiling right, Point. Right, it's right. like, this is great, but it's just so full of tension. It's yeah. like, I need a rest after 20, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, was that was that sort of key to the the development and the script writing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we did a short film uh, back in 2018, which was 20 minutes long. And that was one take as well. And we sort of, um, you know, I wanted to get across that the pressure and, and the, the unpredictability of working in that, in that world, you know, you just don't know who's going to come through the door. You don't know how it's going to go. You, you know, anything can happen at any minute. So I wanted the audience to feel that as well mm. and, and sort of go on that journey and, you know, not, not be able to take their eyes off, off the screen. I want, I wanted them to sort of, you know, because as you know, in, when you're working in that uh, sort of world and, you know, as soon as the doors open to the restaurant, I'd say five, six o'clock or whatever, and the customers start coming in until the moment they close, it's one take and you don't get chance to stop or, or you know, everybody's on the same path, if you like, or, you know, track and, and, and sort of um, you've already got to be going in the same direction. And so I wanted the audience to be a part of that and for it to be almost, a, you know, slightly immersive in, in a way. And that was that was, you know, we, we talked about various different ways of shooting it and, you know, shooting it in a conventional way, but like, you know, slightly sort of erratic and, and very um, hard, quick cuts and, and, st and stuff like that. But we did the short in one take and we kept going back to that, going like that sort of tension that where, where the audience, you don't give the audience a, a second to breathe and, and to give them a moment to sort of uh, take their eyes away. Um, and we thought, let's, let's, let's try and do the whole thing like that. I mean, obviously, that there are precedents quite recently for the the, the one take film. I mean, obviously, sort of Birdman is one that wasn't in one take, but it was you know special, specially edited as though it was in one yeah. take. And then, then I don't know if you saw, is it the German film Victoria, which is very good as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen that? Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think that you know there is the potential for that. 
that approach to be kind of overbearing for the content, right? But it's definitely not here because I think that the the different spaces of the restaurant, so, you know, the kitchen, the bar, the dining room, even the bins out back, you know, are navigated in this way and gives you that sense of, it gives you that sense of restaurants are about timing as much as anything else. So it's so interesting to see that. But then what what were some of the technical challenges around doing the one take? I mean, I, I read that you did it four times over and sort of pick the best one was that right well we we when we set out to do it we um we, we, it was sort of um 2019 when we sort of we wrote the script and we developed the script with that location in mind because uh, it was very mm. it's a very it was a very different way that we'd, re- we'd we wrote this script in terms of like there was no dialogue in there it was just stage direction like really solid solid stage direction and characters and the the sort of dialogue was in there as, as bullet points in terms of like what they needed to be what needed to be said and what point and things like that. So my plan was then right. to workshop that with the actors to get the dialogue from the from the actual actors that we cast. So so we did that and um, but but in writing the script with the location in mind was really helpful because we were able to go into that location and figure out the camera moves and we wrote the script from the point of view of the camera. So it was from the the camera's perspective. So it would say things like and then we moved. We move um, with this character into the back kitchen, and then this happens, and things like that. So it was quite a—I mean, it was—it was very solid in terms of its structure, the script. And then myself and uh, Matt Lewis, who is my cinematographer and also camera operator, him and I went to the space, and we went there for—for for, you know, we, we were there. Luckily, the the restaurant is owned by a very good friend of mine, Andy Jones, and <laughs> um, so we were able to get in there whenever we wanted, really. <clears throat> so we went in and Matt and I would sort of start with his phone and I would play every character and we'd do, we sort of, we built it in, in sort of, uh, we called it like beats or moments because there's no scene numbers. Um, so we would go in and we would do uh, sort of moment one or beat one, which would be Stephen walking into the restaurant on the phone and then go into the, to get changed. So that was beat one. So we'd do that and we'd go back, we'd do beat one and beat two. And we'd, we'd so we, we gradually built it so that the camera moves were all sort of really um, thought out. And we sort of gave ourselves two rules in terms of the, the camera moves and stuff. And, and one of them was that we were never allowed to just float off on our own and find something. The camera's just got to be motivated by a person. And the right. second rule was um, we don't want to repeat a move apart from, you know, the inevitable of like walking down a corridor when you can't really sort of, I mean, it was, that was the big challenge because it's such a small space. If you get, if you go to that restaurant, yeah, the, the, especially the, the back kitchen and the, and that, that area there is very difficult. And, and Matt was carrying this, um, you know, this camera rig and it was massive on him. Like, and he's, you know, he's over six foot tall anyway. So getting in and out of the doors at the back was difficult and trying to maneuver around the, the sort of the pass in the kitchen where, where, you know, we got six or seven actors in there. And then Matt as well. Um, so those those things were challenging, really, and and also trying to sort of not, um, uh, you know, just plant so many reflections and reflective surfaces in in kitchens, trying yeah, to yeah, yeah, maneuver yeah. around those. And so those are the challenges in terms of the technical side of it. And then the challenges for for me as a director was making sure the actors were very natural and and sort of everything was uh, fresh every take. So we we originally gave ourselves eight eight takes we were going to do eight takes over four nights and this was in march 2020 when when the pandemic was <laughs> just before the first lockdown basically 
And so right. after the first night, we we done it twice. And, you know, I was like, okay, these are okay. They're just sort of dress rehearsals in my in my mind because, you know, we've got another six goes at this and we're going to absolutely nail it. So I was really pleased because we got mm. through the takes. We didn't stop at all. And then, uh, and then I, that the next morning, sorry, the, that night, the producers called me quite late and, and said, "Look, tomorrow is going to have to be our last day because we've got a lot of people pulling out. We had some camera team pull out, we had some supporting artists pull out, and because people were incredibly nervous and scared and and, and all the rest of it, so yeah. that was a, a, again another challenge. So when we came in the next day, we had to sort of tell a couple of people. We didn't tell everybody that that today is going to be our last day. I told Stephen and a couple of the the, the, the key actors, and then yeah, we we just." Uh, we just knuckled down and, and you know sort of did the takes. We did the we did the third take, um, which is the first one on the second night, and it was great. The performances were fantastic, but technically there was a few little minor issues. Uh, and then I was like, right, we've got the last one. This is going to be the one. And technically it was absolutely flawless, but the performances were slightly flatter because they were knackered. Basically, the actors were knackered. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah, so, yeah. so after, uh, and then we all sort of got, literally got locked down about two days later. And, uh, and I, um, I looked over the footage of each take and decide, we all decided to, to go with the third one because, you know, ultimately if you're not watching the performances and, and you're trying to look out for the technical side of it, then I can, we've completely lost the audience and and, I, and it wouldn't be worth it. So so we went with that one in the end and we were able to fix out the little technical, minor t- technical issues, you know, like some shadows and reflections and things like that. Um, but yeah, so it was, um, and the, again, like just as me as a director, like you, you, all my work is done in rehearsals because as soon as I call action on the take, I'm literally watching a monitor, observing it and I can't do anything about it. So I just have to watch and it's like watching a football game or something like that. You know what I mean? As a manager. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was crazy. It's an amazing feat really when you, when you consider there the, the story that you've, that you've just told, but also there when you, when you're discussing just the, the actors, not really, you know, not having a set dialogue, let's say, mm. and they can work from one, one beat to another and one, you have to get to this point so we can move to that point. I mean, you must've been really like proud of the of the cast i mean obviously stephen graham is stephen graham but then yeah. and you know the cast list is very strong anyway but to move from one character to another as well and to be able to keep that going i mean it's i mean obviously theater does that you know yeah. every night kind of thing but but there is a having to work around the camera movements and everything like that is a different thing again you know it's like a dance we we we, we sort of treated it like a like a choreography it was choreography that was you know not not only yeah. did they have to learn the lines and learn you know not the lines because we workshopped the script and then we had some sort of loose dialogue after after we'd workshopped it we put that into the script but i didn't want the actors to be you know tied down to that i wanted it to be fresh so you know they had to yeah. learn what needs to be said. But I said to the actors, the most important thing is to listen to each other because if you really listen to someone, you'll have a natural reaction to that, you know? And so that mm. was the important, that was important for me to sort of, um, you know, to, to, to relay that to them and to, to not worry really, just have fun as well, because, you know, I know it's stressful. Yeah. And I mean, it's incredibly stressful for an actor, especially if you, you know, you're sort of got the, you know, for example, the, 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 um, the paramedic ladies at the end um, who have literally, sat waiting around a corner in the ambulance 
for their queue. And, you know, this like, you know, you're talking like 70, 80 minutes into the film. And then if sure. they come along and mess it up, it's like, you know, there's so much pressure on them. So, but I just sort of said, look, yeah. just relax and, you know, take, you know, if something messes up a little bit and it's not major, major, mm. you know, a major issue, then just keep going because, you know, nine times out of 10, the audience will never know. They, they don't know what's coming next. So, you know, we might get sure. gold. We might strike gold with it. Yeah. It's definitely one of those films that, you know, you kind of, I mean, I, I've watched it now three times. Oh, wow. and it's like, I know I'll never have that opportunity to see it fresh for the first time yeah. again, which is, you know, certain films, it's kind of sad, but they, you know that that's never yeah. going to happen. If you enjoy The Cinematologists and think the podcast is valuable to you in some way, please consider supporting us. You can do this by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. This really helps us get traction and visibility. Or you could share an episode on your social media. Any reviews or comments we get, we do tend to discuss on the main show. Or perhaps you could just tell a friend or a colleague about the show. Research suggests that the number one factor that aids podcast discoverability is personal recommendation. So if you have a friend or a colleague who you think would like the episode, please let them know about it. Also, for less than the price of a coffee, you could join our Patreon site. You will get access to our bonus podcasts and our monthly newsletter, in which we write an extended article and give a host of cultural recommendations. Corporate money is flooding into podcasting, and while there are brilliant shows being produced in all genres, there is a lot of formulaic content and celebrity chit-chat, which just sounds like mediocre radio. The uniqueness, authenticity, experimentation and passion that made podcasting something unique and different is being overwhelmed by corporate formalism and institutional gatekeeping. We are a fully independent, ad-free podcast goes back into making our product better. Thanks very much for your continued support. And now, back to the show. When you were expanding from a short to to the feature, I was just wondering about the the development of the story elements because it's still quite a terse story conceit, really. You know, it's the stressed out chef, but then you're putting elements into that and grounding it within the other secondary, let's say, stories of the other characters, really. And you know, obviously, the sort of psychological tension between him and the the other chef, the celebrity chef mm. is something we all recognize professional jealousy and being reviewed by our peers and stuff like that so just i just wondered you've made this very successful short and you want to expand it to a feature what what were your thoughts about how to make it into a, a kind of 90 minute story well for, first thing when we decided we wanted to turn it into a feature was like yeah how are we going to do this and and we never even thought about the one take thing at the beginning <clears throat> the original idea right. was actually to literally follow on from the from the short so we were planning on doing reshooting the the short the, the opening 20 minutes of the feature would be the short let's say and then we would we, we we talked about maybe going into steven's character's recovery like he's you know he's he's sort of now a recovering uh, addict and, and 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 following that journey but you know as much as we tried to throw loads at it and and ideas and stuff like that it just wasn't and every i just kept going back to sort of like that sort of tension and being in the kitchen and, and, and being in that sort of claustrophobic environment. And, um, and I just remember sitting up one night, I was shooting my first feature, sitting up in bed and going, 
we've got to do this in one take, the whole thing. And I'd seen Victoria yeah. a, a, a couple of years before, or a year before, or whatever. So I knew it yeah. could be done. And and so we did some, so I told James Cummings, my uh, co-writer, and then he got excited. Then I told Stephen, he got really excited. And then I told Matt Lewis, cinematographer, and he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> So he, you know, he was obviously a bit, <laughs> a bit nervous about it, but, but I actually said to him, look, yeah. well, there's ways of getting around this. There's ways of doing it. So it is one complete take, but, but you can sort of hand the camera off to other people or another, another operator. You don't have to keep, and he's like, no, 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 no. If we're going to do it, I want to do it all. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, but, but, but in terms of the, the, the sort of story, we, we, we sort of was like, okay, it's a really simple story. Like there's not, nothing major really happens. I mean, you know, there, there is things mm. that happen, but it's, it's more a sort of slice of life. And it's a, it's a, just a moment in time, really. Um, it almost wanted to sort of dump the audience into this moment and then pull them back out again at the end and sort of, you know, have them go on this journey for an hour and a half. And, and, and that was it really simple as that. It, it wasn't, you know, we, and we talked about, I, I, I sort of then, we, we then put down, lots of anecdotes of things that I've witnessed or experienced in, in the kitchens. And then James, who'd worked in a front of house as well, he put down some anecdotes of his experiences as well. And we, and we sort of came up with these characters and some of the characters we brought along from the other, uh, from the short and, you know, sort of changed their names and things like that, or changed actors because their actors weren't available to, to play them and, and things like that. And, uh, and that's how it, that's how it happened. They happened really organically, to be honest. And Stephen had a right. had a bit of an input as well, and, and his wife Hannah, who's who's amazing. Um, she's an amazing story editor, and 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 you know she's fantastic with character and stuff. And she she reads all of his scripts basically before he does. She's like the gatekeeper for any right. any um, any of his projects. So yeah, so so it was kind of like a a, um, a a group effort really. We all just come together and came up with these characters and these these little moments. I didn't want anything to sort of be completely resolved either because, you know, you yeah. see that in movies a lot and it's like, okay, this has been resolved. And I know that's a classic storytelling trait, but but in life that doesn't happen. Like, you know, you see someone in the street yeah. and you go, how are you doing? They're like, I'm not doing too good actually. And, you know, we talk about for five minutes how they're doing and then you walk away and you sort of, that's it, it's not resolved. And you sort of maybe think, I wonder yeah. how they're doing now. Then I, I saw them last week. I wonder if, I better, you know, I call them or whatever. And that's what I wanted to get across in the film. Yeah. And it's not just, I mean, we'll come to Stephen Graham in a, in a second specifically, but it's not just him that's got things going on. Everyone has got something going on and there's that texture to the characters that I think that's what, that's where the film is, you know, more for me than, than simply the, the cinematography and, you know, the one take, that's the kind of canvas, but then everybody's got something going on, whether it's kind of like self-harm yeah. or dealing with racist customers yeah. or like, I mean, what was interesting, I mean, you said it there yourself in terms of your background with acting, you know, the, there's one of the, the blonde wait, waitress is yeah. an actor who's come late because she's at an audition. So all of those things are so, again, you know, authentic, I think is the, is the word. It really, it really does capture that, that slice of a particular environment. Mm. So it's, it's great in that way. So Stephen Graham though, you've known him a, a, a long time from, from, I mean, but you were, you were in band of brothers with him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was, you know, over 20 years ago now. <laughs> right. Um, we, we, we sort of clicked on set, really, because, you know, we we're both Scousers and it was like yeah. we we're the only two Scousers on, on the set. And, and so we sort of uh, gravitated towards each other and, and we stayed really close afterwards. And, and then we sort of drifted apart a little bit, as you do. And, you know, you don't sort of speak to someone for a little while. And then we uh, about five, 
six years ago. Yeah, six years ago, we we sort of got close because my mum passed away quite suddenly, and and I don't know what how we got in touch, but like we just sort of got in touch, and um, we just became really close. Uh, I told him about me wanting to potentially direct, and he was like, "Go for it." And then I I, I got this this really lovely script for a short film that a friend of mine wrote, played the lead in, and um, I I said to Steve, "Can you? I'd love you to be in it. Would you play the?" This sort of train the box is about it's about a young boxer suffering with um uh mental health and stuff and uh i said to steve i'd like you to play the trainer and it's only small part but he was like let's see how you get on with the first one and then we can have a chat after that <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's, he's stephen graham and he i forget you know what i mean yeah, I forget. Yeah, you've got to be careful he's not, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's not just my mate putting me mate in in the film he's he is who he is so it was like i, I totally respect respect that and then you know he watched the film and loved it, and and um, and he was like, "What are you? What are you going to do next? You must want to continue doing this." I was like, yeah, "Oh my god, yeah, this is like this is the dream now." And so I pitched them the idea for the, for for Boiling Point the short, and um, and he loved it. He was just yeah, he jumped on straight away because it was a huge challenge, and he loves he loves a challenge, you know. But yeah, we've been very very close. Is he based on somebody? Because I've known lots of that type of pugnacious looking chefs. You know what I mean. <laughs> He's based on a few people, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, I can imagine. He's based on a few people, and he's also based on me as well a bit. You know, a lot of that, a lot of that character, right. certainly in the feature. You know, that's another thing about the short as well. We, you know, in the short, we sort of throw the audience in at like we're 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 at eleven, and it doesn't it doesn't stop. The sort of the volume is <laughs> yeah. up the whole time, and it and it and it sort of doesn't stop and let you, let you go until till the end. But with the feature, it was like. Okay, we can't start there. We need to start somewhere. We need to, you know, have the ebbs and flows, and and also, you know, sort of gradually build that tension if we can. But and also the pace of it needed to be sort of, you know, slower in in parts and things. Give the audience a break. Like for example, when we go outside to the bins, that was a a deliberate moment to sort of give the audience a slight breather. You know, come outside for a minute as well. If he's, you know, if it's partly you and then characters from, I mean, I don't know whether Stephen Graham ever had to do any restaurant work in his in his past or anything like that. But I mean, was there any? Oh no, absolutely not. <laughs> no, I can imagine not. But so were you sort of working with him on that? That you, you know, you, it's got to be like when you're positioning the food on the plate, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. The, I mean, he's not. There is the there is the stereotype of the really shouty chef, of course. Um, yeah. But he's kind of he, he's got to embody that that pressure, so it's got to kind of be internal and external at the same time. So, I mean, I don't know. Working with him on that must have been really, really good, good fun, you know. Yeah, it was like with the short, we only had um, we had three days, so we had two days rehearsal and we shot on the Sunday. So, and we shot that in a, in a catering college in Manchester. Mm. <clears throat> so he, he came up on the Friday, and we I took him to a, a really really fancy restaurant. We also had uh, a chef consultant on. Uh, on the shore called Ellis Barry, who's a who's a who's sort of you know he, he's been on a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. He's Liverpool chef, and he's a really good friend of mine. So he he was on set all the time, and he was showing them. You know, when you've got such little time with people, and Stephen, you know, he's not the best, the strongest cook, <laughs> but he's fantastic. Um, you know, at, at sort of pretending. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's what he does for a living. So <laughs> you know, so so he was able he, he was able to to embody the. The, the way a chef moves and the way a chef sort of holds a knife or a spoon or, you know, you know, because, because that was the second best thing we could get really is I'd love to have sort of have him. Uh, and he went and shadowed um, 
his the, uh, um, a chef at his local restaurant down in where he lives, and and so so he he did that, and then he came to the restaurant. We we sort of, and then he was just you know he was just asking questions all the time mm. to Ellis, and then when we did the feature, um, Ellis wasn't available, so we had Tom Brown, who's another fantastic chef. He came on and did all the consultancy, and and you know they designed the menu. Well, we did it together, and they had a couple of days boot camp with him, sort of thing in the kitchen with him. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, he just throws himself into that world and he watched a lot of, you know, the, the classic Gordon Ramsay documentaries. Yeah, yeah. And there's one, the, the, boi- the one called Boiling Point actually is, is the, the, the original uh, Ramsay documentary. And yeah, he just, he just you know, he was, he was constantly asking questions to Tom and myself. And I wanted to, I wanted to focus on the performances and give the, the sort of technical chefy bits to to someone else so they didn't have all of that on my shoulders as well so that's why we got the, the real chefs in as well yeah i told her to use the other one it was my fault all right all right all right all right all right okay come on come on come on come on come on she needs to stay calm all right yeah take a deep breath take a deep breath what, we gonna, what am i gonna do we'll get through it all right it's my fault though calm. yeah okay 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 we just need to take it one step at a time. Okay. All right? Yeah? On top of it. No, 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 Callie, you don't understand, love. I'm in a Don't tell me I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm here covering your ass every single day, Andy. I can't take it anymore. It's a film that I do think that people who work in restaurants will pick things up that other people won't. There's so many elements of that yeah. I could just go on all day about, oh, yeah, that little bit's right there and that little bit's... But, like, say, for example, when <laughs> when the... Um, when the moment when the, the when those Instagram idiots were asked for a selfie, where when Jason <laughs> Fleming's grilling him about the two hundred grand, and yeah, when when they ask um, Stephen Graham to get him some water, even though they're having an argument, Fleming still says he's the head chef. You know what I mean? He still protects. Yeah. So it's like it, it's still I still remember that like you know, that hierarchy of the head chef is has a position, and yeah, the relationship between the the, the head chef and the the second chef, who is also, I mean, you know, Vinette Robinson is just fantastic in it. And yeah. I'll, I'll talk, there's one moment from her I want to talk about in the minute. But yeah, those little elements, you know, it builds up a picture of what, of again, how I mean, how authentic it is. I don't want to use the word realism because that's always a bit tricky. But I mean, w- w- were you really keen on being sort of very detailed about those little things? Yeah, I was because, you know, I wanted people like yourself who've worked in that that industry before to sort of to to be able to recognize moments and you know i know there's moments in there that you know there's certain chefs that i know who who are sort of like um yeah that would you know that's not what it's like anymore (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, but but look at the end of the day it's a movie and you know it's not a documentary and so you know there's there's always going to be moments Mm. when that people don't sort of agree with or don't think are right but but yeah there's it's those little nuances that I wanted to get um, get in there, really, and mm. and and that was that was done prior to to any rehearsals or shoot. You know, I would literally phone up all the actors and be 
talking through their character with them and you know I wasn't telling them who their character was we would talk about it and we would we would I would ask questions about like do you think they do this or do you think they do that or what where do you think the background is how where do you think they trained how many how long they've been in the industry right. that kind of, you know those little questions and it was just sort of I mean, we sort of drag drag out the character really we, we, and we'd start to, to build this character together and so then those little nuanced moments just came naturally really mm. um oh that's great you know, they just came naturally so yeah yeah I wondered, actually, you know, Stephen Graham, as you said, being the name that he is, I wondered if there was a kind of a parallel where he may be sort of, with the rest of the actors, almost took a kind of driving role that a chef has to take, but he did that in an actorly way. Do you know what I mean? On set, was was he like that, you know? Oh, yeah, he absolutely did. Absolutely, yeah. The thing with Stephen is, and I imagine, you know, because I know him as a friend, first and foremost, I imagine there's a lot of directors out there that would, that he would rub up the wrong way quite simply because he is a force of nature and he is so passionate and sometimes that passion and he's a scouser right so scousers speak their mind and they they have a certain way of like they wear the they wear the emotions on the sleeve right so he would come in like like a bull in a china shop sometimes like this whirlwind and you just you know the best way to direct him i, I suppose is to just let him go, let him do his thing. And then every so often just pull him aside and say, why don't we try this? And he'd be like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then he'd go off and do it. As opposed to like some, I know, I know I've, me as an actor, I've worked with directors who sort of come to you with these really over sort of, um, uh, you know, to talk to you in this like sort of real educated speaking. And you're like, I don't, oh, you just want me to move from here to there. Why didn't you say that? <laughs> yeah, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like, turn your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And giving me the motivation for the cat and this and that. And it's like, that's just how I work anyway. You know, I mm. try to give as little notes as possible and let the actors come come up with it themselves, really. I, I, and certainly with Stephen, that's, you know, I learned very early on um, when we were doing the short film that that's how he works. And, you know, you just got to let him, You've got to let him do his thing. He comes to set with lots of ideas and you've got to either let him try it and see whether it works and let it play out or, you know, just talk about it, really. It's not um, – because mm. for me, my my approach to, to, to directing is not like a sort of dictator. I'm the boss. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one who's, you know, got all the ideas and it's my film which is, you know, I've worked with, with directors like that and chefs like that. I mean, it's very similar. There's, there's a lot of parallels, you <laughs> yeah, know. it is. And so I, I um, when I, well, certainly when I became a head chef as well, I, I'd, I've worked with some absolute monsters of chefs. So I had always said to myself, when I become a head chef, I will never treat my staff like that because, because the feeling I had when I was being treated like that, I didn't want to help them. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay later or, you know, I was just like, no, F you, I'm gone. I'm see you later. I'm, I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm going home. It's my shift's finished on the dot or whatever it may be, you know, and the same sort of approach into directing really was, is like, you know, it's a, it's a collaboration. We are a family and we have to work together mm-hmm. and there's no, you know, anyone can come to me with ideas, whether it be the runner or, you know, someone who's just, I don't know, like the trainees or whatever, everyone can, can have their opinion and their ideas and there's no, you know, it won't be shut down. It might not work, but you know, but it will never be like, no, you're just the runner or you're just the trainee go away. Yeah. 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 Um, because I think that's a, how you get the best out of people. 
and B, you never know what the idea might be. It might be amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I wouldn't pass it off as my own. I'd be like, I'd always be like, this was that person's idea and what an amazing idea it was. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. there's a lot of parallels. And, and yeah, it's just, yeah, Stephen is a whirlwind, and um, but he's an absolute yeah. joy to work with. As long as you tune into his psyche and his mentality and what he's about you, you, and you're on the same page, it's such a joy, just a joy to work with. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I really, because Vinette Robinson is from my neck of the woods. Um, I'm from Leeds and she's from Bradford. That's right, yeah. And she plays a very important role, I think, obviously as the second chef, mm. who has a very, very nuanced role in, in, in the kitchen, I think, and in, obviously in your film. Yeah. You're sort of second in command, holding everything together, and particularly yeah. because of, obviously sort of Andy is, Stephen Graham's character is, <laughs> you know, got all of these, yeah, a mess. Yeah. But I just, that that monologue where she goes ballistic at the maitre d', yeah. The, that precision of chewing somebody out. It rem- you know what it reminded me? It reminded me of that scene in Goodfellas between Joe Pesky and Ray Liotta oh. because of its intensity. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah, what it, yeah, yeah. it called to my mind. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, that was... Sorry. No, I was just going to say, was it, you, did you really want to go? Because she goes really for her. That was really kind of as extreme as it gets when you're calling somebody out, you know? Yeah, that was that was, um, that was was always planned, you know, it was to go for her. And and that was very much, like I said before, about the, the beats in the script. Those were the beats that she had to hit. <clears throat> and then Vinette, um, you know, she just went, she just went for it. Like, she just absolutely went to town. And we rehearsed that a couple of times, not many times, but, you know, each time we did that, it was pretty much brand new you know all the beats yeah. were in there but but um alice feetham who plays beth the manager she's she's got tears in her eyes and those tears are real yeah. you know what i mean because yeah yeah yeah. because yeah, each yeah. time she did it it was yeah. something brand new and, and it was like fresh for, for for the actors you know and so yeah it was that was a joy to watch to be honest and, and i remember being i remember being sat in front of the monitor and we were just all hidden in behind this false wall basically <laughs> And um, there was about forty of us in this, in this, just in this space, and um, we were just all watching it. And like as we're watching it, you could see everyone just be like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah, you know, it was um, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But that's yeah. I, lo- I love how um, you how you said Goodfellas. That's uh, I'm going to tell her that. I'll, I'll let her know that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the film's out already. You could have uh, you could have had a pull quote there, but um, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit yeah. late now. Yeah. now but <laughs> maybe on the DVD, it's going on the uh, Blu-ray. I think at some point soon. So maybe on there. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, you can you can have that for that if you want. Yeah. Um, the the restaurant, in many ways, I think is a an un- underexplored site of kind of what I'd call this is a very academic question, but an, un- an underexplored site of kind of site sociological study about particularly about Britain, if we're talking about British restaurants. Mm. And even yeah, I'm saying that even with the knowledge that, you know, there's so many cooking programs and so many celebrity chef programs, because they do simmering underneath everything is class and race and sexuality yep. and all of this kind of stuff. And you know, sometimes the customer-waiter relationship still goes back to Tory in England. You know, it's it's very servile. It has those class connotations. And yeah. particularly with the racial elements that you put with that one particular table and obviously mm. the, the the black waitress. And yeah. it's there are so many different personalities and stuff there. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I, I wondered how much you were kind of like, you know, you want to make the film, which is a 90-minute, you know, one shot about this one character, but... There are sort of little comments I think that are being made here about kind of British culture and society, you know. Yeah, that was that was always really, really, really important to me, and and James, the, the co-writer as well. Um, 
<clears throat> again, you know, shining shining the light on on these little pockets of of you know society and what what people go through and and the sort of common theme, you know, is everybody's got two masks. Everybody, mm. you know, you got your forward facing mask and, and your private mask, and and I think you know some people some people show more than others, you know, what they're going through and others, and others don't like, for example, you know, Beth, when she goes into the toilet and it's, and she's, you know, you see that, that side of her and, you know, the, the self-harm thing mm. and the race, the racism, you know, it's, um, it, yeah, that was something that I really wanted to get right. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm with the, the actress that we, that we cast, Lauren Adjufo, she, I, I sort of said to her, look, you know, for me as a white man, it's like, I, I haven't experienced racism firsthand so you know we sat and went and had a coffee and, and we just talked and and we were meant to be like maybe half an hour an hour something like that and we were there for like three or four hours I think you know just and I was we were both crying mm. and it was really emotional and it was just just a beautiful um moment really me sort of being educated and on on this on this matter and this subject and whatever and so I wanted to make sure that she had a say in in that moment and and you know and I didn't want it to be too sort of on the nose you know he, he's clearly a racist but like it, it all has to be in a sort of in just yeah. his men in his demeanor and how he how he changes from the white waitress to then the black waitress yep. um and that goes on you know a day on a yeah. daily basis and um, a thousand times yeah. a day yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and the thing is More than you, you don't know about we don't it's never we never know about it and you know, and 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 again, it's like so, someone did say, and I remember reading a comment a while ago, and someone was saying like, "Oh, I wish, I wish that that uh, sort of table of racist, the racist table would have been that whole that whole thing would have been resolved a bit more." I'm like, but it wouldn't be resolved because she's going to go home and probably, you know, and and then take that mask off, and then she's going to be whatever you know, she whatever she feels, and so it doesn't get resolved. It's not going to get resolved in in that you know in that moment. So, yeah, all of those little those little beats really, and everybody you know everybody's going through something in life, and nobody's perfect. And and, and you know I wanted to sort of show that a little bit, you know, as, as best we could really. And in, in, a, in a, you know the and again the other challenging thing going back to that is you've got an hour and a half, but it's a real hour and a half, real time. You can't flash forward, flash back, whatever. So. So that was the challenge to sort of cram in as much as we could without it being overloaded. And you know, there's argument to say that it it is a bit overloaded, and, and all of the things that happen in that hour and a half probably wouldn't happen in reality. But <laughs> but you know, no, again, it's no. a, it's a movie, and but that's a know, movie. It's, it's a movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and like to add to that as well. Even and like even from my perspective, one of the things that I noticed from back in the day. You know, you, you tend to, I mean, we always sort of, when we talk about, say, objectification or abuse, you know, it, it tends to be male to female, right? But yeah. you have that yeah. scene in where the, the, the group of women are grabbing yeah. the gay guy, you know, and yeah. he's gay. Yeah. But like, you know, the, the amount of times, the amount of stories I could tell you about when I was, you know, younger, in younger days, the hen parties had come in and it was a free-for-all right. at times, right. you know, it, it, and that... Again, that was another element of it that I think was so so authentic in in, in terms of the the things that I recognised. Yeah, I mean, there's little moments like that that I wanted to sort of flip on his head a little bit and and be like, okay, so you know, for example, like you know, the diversity of the whole cast really was was something that was very organic, and we I wanted it to feel like a real London kitchen, um, a real London restaurant, and you know, for example, like you know, to have the the hen party um come in th those group of girls uh, americans you know 
I think traditionally you may have seen like a group of white girls with one black friend, but I wanted to flip that and go, it's a group of black girls, you know, or, or you know, a multicultural uh, women with, with one white friend. And yeah, and, and they um, sort of touched the, the guy up as opposed to, you know, the other way around sort of thing. And little moments like that, I wanted to sort of throw in there um, that were real, but, but, but not necessarily something that you would see on, on film. Um, the the classic sort of things that you'd see, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for taking so much time. I just got one more thing I just wanted to ask um, about yeah, yeah. your 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 sort of general directing work. Obviously, you did the your debut was Villain, which is a sort of uh, you know gangster genre yeah. movie, and, yeah, and you yeah, do a lot yeah, yeah. do a lot of TV work as well. You did uh, an episode of The Responder. So, I mean, are you are you now somebody who? You know, I mean, we're in this world where, you know, Netflix and streaming, so directors moving from film to television. Are you wanting to do more what you would might might call sort of more personal film film work and then do that alongside your TV? How much your sort of relationship between, you know, these two ele- different elements of directing? It's a good question because only only recently really that I've sort of this, this, this discovered what I am about and what I, what I want to do really as a director. And I think, yeah, the TV, good, really, you know, good um, sort of um, gritty uh, dramas um, for TV and things like that. And and also I'm developing a lot of stuff for my for, for, uh, through my company and, and uh, with James Cummings, we've got, you know, a, a, like seven projects that we're developing at the moment, which have all been Fantastic. commissioned, various different places, some TV, some film. Um and I've just literally wrapped on on a movie um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, which was written by James uh, and another friend of ours, Barnaby uh, Bolton. Um, so I just wrapped on that called Accused, um, which is about a young uh, British Asian um, guy who is sort of wrongly accused of a of an of a of a t- an attack at a London. Uh, train station but he's accused online and, and there's like this online witch hunt that happens um right. and then sort of the online witch hunt comes to his door um so i just finished that and i've literally just started prep on a on a brand new uh tv thing which i, I can't say what it is just yet till it's announced but um but we start shooting that on the 6th of june uh up in leeds actually oh wow wow um so yeah great well so lots, know, lots and lots and lots of things lots, going on <laughs> lots going on good luck with all of them yeah. i love Boiling point Thank you. more than well, I'm, I'm sure you can tell, but it really did. Uh, You've hit seen me, it three times, you know, in the face. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I'm looking forward to talking to my uh, co-host uh, about it as well. I'm sure he's got l- lots to say too. But thanks so much for taking all this time awesome. to, to speak to me, Philip. I really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was great, really great to talk to uh, Philip. I think we had a a good repartee. I think there was something about the northernness uh, along with the restaurantness that that we we bonded over. And I just wanted to say as well thanks to Laura from uh, Three Little Birds Pictures for for setting this up for me. Um, yeah, Neil, what did you make of the film and and then the chat? Um, yeah, I lo- love both really. Yeah, I really love the conversation and. I saw Boiling Point at LFF. I, I mentioned it on our LFF episode. Oh, like, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a weird one. I was I picked it, uh, yeah, because, like, you know, they had those weird timings. So I, I watched it 
it had like a two hour gap between lectures on a Monday, I think. And it was that's when it was on, you know, for that. So I just sort of sat there at my desk and, and put it on just to, you know, because it had Stephen Graham's picture. So it's like if it's got Stephen Graham in, I'm, I'm interested. And yeah, then it was just a really stressful, <laughs> really stressful nine minutes. Which was not a kind of relaxing watch, uh, even uh, even in that. And I think that's what's what I love about the film is that even I was sat at my desk at work and I had it on, and I was absolutely absorbed, and it was absolutely it's absolutely gripping. And I think the point you made before about the decision to make it a single take just works so well with sort of capturing the atmosphere and the tension of the space and the people and the, the activity in a really, really superb way. And he sort of talked about, it was interesting in your interview where he's talking about constantly, how do we do this? How do we do this? And then just in coming back, you know, so it's not like, oh, here's a gimmick and then let's build a film around this gimmick. It's like, it's trying to find all these ways to make it work and realizing actually the best way is this way. And it really, really works. I think it's, it's such a, it's such a great film. And yeah, I thought the conversation was 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 great. You know, I, just, I love the way he was talking about it and how the process of making the film sort of creates cinema from this very simple story. And I don't mean simple in a, in a derogatory sense. In a in a way that you know, like something like Victoria, which I think you know I like, but is very obviously, like you say, a kind of presentation of look what we can do. This is this is this is much more of a of a relationship between form and content in a really kind of symbiotic way in the there's a lot to pick out from the the interview but the one thing i, I thought was interesting was his idea of screenwriting and sort of constructing the story one of the things i think which really works about the film is that all of those characters feel like rich characters even though we spend very little time with them you know the performances are really really good but there's clearly they're clearly invested in those people that they're playing and they know that there's going to be a five second, 10 second, two minute bit where they're going to have to be that character. But it never feels like any of them are doing something to move the camera or the plot to the next point. You know, like it feels like we're coming across these people in the context of their job and this evening, but their lives are rich and they're, you know, which I think is really hard to do, particularly when you're constructing a script, which is driven by action. You know, I think that's that's hard to to give so many characters and so many actors an investment in their roles to the point where, yeah, you know, there's that kind of old cliche of everybody's every character's the the lead in their own story. You know, so you're trying to give these characters a richness. So when we meet them fleetingly, they feel they feel well rounded, and they, and that that absolutely is, works here. You know, so you move through this space, and at no point do you feel like you're coming into a a cipher who's got a function and that's that's an, an amazing achievement and it's, it's an amazing achievement of writing but it's also an amazing achievement of, of filmmaking and getting those actors even the horrible one like those the racist ones and the goons you know like the influencer goons they don't feel like stereotypes There's, they, they leave a trace of of authenticity which is again which i think as well is that the way the film carries all of these instances with it is you know which just you know it sort of congeals you know everything sort of congeals as, as as it goes into this really kind of good metaphor well, that's what i thought you know a grimy thing you know? <laughs> um like at the end of yeah, the night yeah, yeah. it does feel like it's all built up so i thought you'd appreciate my little restaurant um not yeah definitely and and i think as well maybe i, I don't know whether i sort of mentioned this in the interview but that sense that a movie has when 
everyone in it has something going on behind their their facade. I think that you know Philip says their mask, and we all have that, don't we? And I think that that's we're living in a world right now where it's kind of like you know there's that adversarial style of of calling people out or just like whatever it might be. You know, it doesn't even have to be anything excessively adversarial, let's say. But like, it's funny, you know, sometimes I put stuff out on, you know, whenever anybody puts something out on social media and somebody comes back, but ah, but what about this? Ah, but what about that? And it kind of like, it's this automatic, I'm going to make you feel bad. Do you know what I mean? And I know that it's, it's a little bit off on a tangent here, but it's kind of like that. Nobody takes the time to consider that somebody may know that or somebody's got, you know, something going on behind behind the scenes or, you know what I mean? It's like there's no leeway anymore. And, I, and in contemporary filmmaking, I think there's a lot of characters that are set up of as they are exactly what you see on the surface. They are one-dimensional. There's nothing going on behind. And this is where this film... That you know, in a ninety-minute movie, to give everybody a kind the kind of space to to have that sense of whether it's just a, a sense of the actor is is depicting the vulnerability, or or that whether there is something specific that is going on with this character behind the scenes, like the the, the kid with self harm, and even the 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 woman that the older the older woman that he was working with who sort of burst into tears and she, her character's really interesting because i've she obviously was a very experienced chef who had her own place and was a baker elsewhere there's little sort of uh, sides about that and then now doesn't have their own place anymore is having to work but is still highly experienced and you can t- tell that stephen graham trusts her judgment and stuff like that and there's a real sort of depth in terms of where they all are in their careers and and, and this kind of stuff and how those things play together. It's just, yeah, it's masterful in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. They're not avatars, are they? They're not, you know, they, they have, no, they have real depth, you know, and they're like you say, they're a reminder of that, that, you know, our interactions with people be that through a tweet or is not the entirety, you know, and it's, it, it handles that really well, which is a reminder of the nature of that place as a kind of, yeah, as a microcosm of, of, of other things. And one thing I wanted to ask you, actually, because I think that the question I was uh, having listened to the interview and listening to you talk so much about restaurants and, and working in restaurants, you know, and seeing the film very much as a indictment, probably the wrong word, but certainly a kind of cautionary tale about the culture of those places it felt like an indictment and a sort of cautionary tale about the culture of filmmaking. It, it, it very much feels like it's and both spaces seem to exist in this with this idea like this is the way we do things. This is the way it is. It is high pressure. It is high intensity. You are going to get your feelings hurt. You are going to, you know, it's going to be adversarial and gladiatorial because what's, because of what's at stake. And that is obviously something that's being questioned in film, but there is a backlash to say, no, actually, it can only be done this way. And I wondered, like, watching the film, like, my question was, can restaurants like that, can they operate? Is there any other way of doing it? You know, everything seems on such a knife edge, such a high wire act, you know, so many people, so many orders, so little time, like all the things that are those components. Can it be nicer? Can it be more enjoyable? Can it be less, less fractious? And I, uh, you know, as someone who's worked in there, I wondered, like, obviously, it's a very authentic replication, but but is there another way or is this the system? that it is? It's very difficult because I think that the, the, the pressure and intensity is so high because if you 
And and it's that thing that you're on, you have to be on your game all the time, every single night. Like if you have a night and you've got 200 people coming through the door and it all goes south and people don't get their food, you know what I mean? Or whatever happens, something goes wrong. Then that's it. The, the, you know, the place could the, the place could be shut down. Word of mouth gets around really quickly. But also, you know, you look at the the, the, the personalities. I mean, it's maybe it's a slightly different co- context because I wasn't in um I was in kind of like Italian sort of really busy bustling middle range restaurants rather than highbrow found fine dining. Because I think I mean what's what's really different for me is that that was a busy restaurant, but that was nowhere near as busy as the places that I used to work in, in my, when I was sort of doing that at the the height of the places that I was in. Um, but then also I worked in, I was a manager at, at times. I was the maitre d' role in smaller places. And I tried to be much more conciliatory and uh, working in a team with the, the chefs and stuff like that. But the problem is as well, you do get, there is this mentality with a lot of chefs is they want to live up to the Marco Pierre White, the Gordon Ramsay, a stereotype of I'm gonna I'm gonna shout and ball and scream at people and and because that's what chefs do and part of that is fostered by the environment. I mean, kitchens are horrible to work in. The heat and the noise. I mean, it's one of the things I didn't really mention that's so great about the movie is that that the I mean that's probably the most sort of filmy thing about it is the fact that the noise levels are quite low and they've boosted up the voice tracks. The voice tracks are really clear so you can hear everything. In a real restaurant, you can't hear shit because of the the, the kitchens have got these massive fans to, to get the heat out. And that's all you can hear. You have to go up to somebody really close to be able to hear what they're saying. So, you know, it's really it's really interesting in that in that in that sense that the film does that with the sound. And it won awards for sound. So, you know, in a filmic sense, it, it works that in, in that way. But um yeah, just it, it's such a it's such a, a unique kind of environment, I think, restaurants. And it is, like I said, I mean, maybe we'll talk a lot more about this on, on the bonus. It is riven with kind of like class connotations and 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 almost kind of like it, it's a professionalized relationship that is a, is a social experience, which is, a, you know, if you think about workplaces, there's, ver- there's often a very clear deep, well, usually there's a clear demarcation between like we're working today and then we can have Friday afternoon drinks or there's an office party, you know, and, and the whole of, you know, the whole of the British government right now is absolutely screwed over because of the definition of what is work and what is not work and what is a party, you know what I mean? So with a restaurant, you have that sense of this is a professional environment, but everybody's kind of socializing as well. So it's, it's weird in that, in that sense, and, you know, that goes for all hospitality. But high-end restaurants and, and even sort of, you know, just busy restaurants generally, they do have this very unique um, dynamic, I think, that I suppose in terms of the hierarchies of power, when you've got like a head chef and you've got like a maitre d', you know, which might be the equivalent, say, of a, you know, a director and a, an assistant director or whoever would be the, the, the kind of second in command on set who would make sure, you know, the director is kind of like trying to make sure there's a, there's an overall kind of momentum or artistic vision or logistics are getting done. But the, then there is, yeah, I think it's the the assistant director is kind of like the, the Rottweiler making sure that actually gets done. Do you know what I mean? In many, in on many sets, but so there are yeah. parallels. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, yeah. The first AD would, would take that role. And it's interesting because I think that, yeah, that the, the way that 
people are drawn to like personality types maybe are drawn to that chef role and want to be sort of fulfilling that legacy of the shouty chef you know i think that has parallels and i think that, that philip mentioned that in terms of the type of director he wanted to be you know you want to be a tyrant you know kind of whipping your your staff to to get stuff done or or, or is it a different um do you want to be a different kind of filmmaker um and yeah so that that's really interesting to sort of to to feel that and to hear it from you you know how, how we sort of worked around those spaces so yeah Great. Well, thanks for your comments, uh, Neil. Uh, thanks once again to to Philip and thanks to Laura for setting it up. Uh, I really appreciated them coming back to me and because I really I really wanted to talk about the film. Yeah, and and hopefully you know in in the future if he's got stuff coming out, we'll 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 have him back on. Of course. Um, good to speak to you, Neil. I think we're going to go over to the bonus now. Yes. Uh, yeah. Really great job. I love that interview not just for the insight into, you know, Dario's younger days, but um, just a really great conversation about the process. Um, and yeah, I love the film. So really, really grateful that, that we, you know, we can feature it on the podcast because I think it's it's a film that hopefully people will see and it's, it's, it's absolutely worthwhile. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And yeah, looking forward to chatting to you about restaurant scenes in movies for the bonus. So we're going to go and tape our bonus episode now. Those of you who support us on Patreon will have access to that. If you want to be a patreon subscriber you'll get access to our monthly newsletter and all our bonus episodes so just search cinematologists on the patreon website um but until next time this has been the cinematologist podcast thanks for listening thanks for listening